I've got to warn you, the news story you're about to hear is very disturbing. No, I'm not talking about the train that poisoned that town in Ohio last month or the security footage showing that the January 6th insurrection narrative that imprisoned a bunch of Americans was pretty much entirely a lie, or the admission by our government agencies that the government and scientific establishment lied to us about the origins of COVID. No, no, I'm talking about a news story far more disturbing than all that. A community hit by hate when a man leaves tire marks all over a pride flag painted on an intersection. Residents around the area speaking out in disgust. Seven's Danielle Garcia is live in Fort Lauderdale with more on the search for that driver. Danielle, good morning. Good morning, Lorena. That mural right behind me was unveiled just about 20 days ago. Already it's been damaged and covered with skid marks. The community here is saddened, as you mentioned, but they are planning to redo it. In fact, the cleanup process has already begun. The pride flag was painted on the street. That whole segment, the investigation, the rocking by hate, it's because a guy drove his truck down a street without performing a sufficient worship ritual to weird sex stuff and transvestitism. Had it been a mural of an American flag, this obviously would not be a news story. The driver could have filmed himself burning the star-spangled banner, and if it attracted any attention at all, the reaction from the media would almost certainly have been applause. But this incident, this hateful act of driving down the street, this is now national news because as far as our ruling class is concerned, the rainbow flag with the crooked transgender canton is the new national flag of the United States. And so help you if you refuse to pledge allegiance. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Jack Straw, who says, the most well-armed Americans planned an insurrection and not one of them thought to bring a gun or even an extra sandwich or bottle of water makes sense to me. Yeah, they got there, they were in the Capitol, they were on the brink of launching that new constitution. They said, wait, hey, guys, did, ah, oh, Jim, did you forget the guns and the new National Assembly and the, ah, oh, now we're just going to have to take some pictures and walk around with Nancy Pelosi's lectern. Ah, oh, well, too bad. You got to remember to keep yourself safe. When you want to keep your data safe, you got to check out ExpressVPN. Right now, go to expressvpn.com slash Knowles. You've heard me talk about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy. But choosing a VPN you trust is equally important. Now, I like to do research on my sponsors, and I only recommend brands to my listeners that I believe in. I can say with full confidence, ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. ExpressVPN does not log your activity online. Lots of cheaper free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers. ExpressVPN does not do this. They even developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. ExpressVPN now uses Lightway, a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. The last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart is how easy it is to use. You don't need any technical skills to set up. Just fire up the app, tap one button to connect. That is it. Even your grandparents could do it. Even I can do it. If, like me, you think your data or your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. That would be expressvpn.com slash Knowles. 
and get three extra months for free. You can no longer drive down a street if you if the street has a pride flag painted on it and you are not sufficiently reverent toward the rainbow stuff and the transgender whatever you you're not allowed to drive down your street that's a that's a hate crime this is what a totalitarian society looks like i use that word really really carefully because a lot of times you'll hear people on the left and on the right use the word authoritarian. I don't think the word authoritarian really means much of anything at all. Authoritarian just means you wield your authority when you've got it. That's what every state has done for all of history. But the word totalitarian has a meaning. The word totalitarian means that the regime's ideology has to penetrate every single aspect of life. There can be no dissent ever in any way not even private dissent, not even in your local little community. You have to go along with whatever the ruling party says at every single level, including when you're driving down. If you drive down the street in a way that seems a little politically incorrect, that will launch an investigation and a national news story. Chris Rock, great comedian, just had a new Netflix special come out, and he took aim at what this sort of totalitarian society looks like. Everybody full of shit. You know? I'm, I'm in my own neighborhood the other day. I bumped into my, my good friend Fred. Hadn't seen him in years. Hadn't seen him in years. Fred got a new job at AT&T. Okay? So I'm like, hey, Fred, how's the job? And Fred's like, ooh, I love the job. It's a safe space. I feel seen. I feel heard. There's a lot of diversity. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, no, it's me. <laughs> what, you think I'm wearing a wire or some shit? <laughs> what the f you talking about safe space? <laughs> you did eight years for manslaughter. <laughs> Nobody's safe around you. Everybody's full of shit. Mother typing out woke tweets. On, on a phone made by child slaves. <laughs> Cut it out, man. That is the telltale sign of a totalitarian society is that everybody is full of SHIT. That's how it goes at every single level. When Chris Rock says, man, you think I was, I'm wearing a wire? That's it. People behave in a totalitarian society as if everybody else is wearing a wire not just in your most public aspects of life, but even in the private ones. Because in the totalitarian society, every citizen is encouraged to rat on every other citizen. Parents are encouraged to rat on, or children rather, are encouraged to rat on their parents. Every social bond beyond the bond between the individual and the state is dissolved. That's what totalitarian societies look like. And we increasingly are living in one. You can see it in China. Very easy to say, oh, look at China, what they're doing, that's so terrible, that's totalitarian. It's harder to see it when it's your own country. Even the way Chris Rock points out, he says, you're, you're talking about how woke you are, how much you care about everybody. You're, you're tweeting out your woke slogans on a device made by child slaves in China. But, but here, we, we have a similar kind of BS that we're all living through. We have to pretend that men are women and women are men. I think this is one of the reasons why the libs are so insistent on the transgender stuff. Because even though 
Historically, this kind of confusion affects a very, very small number of people. As a result of the social contagion of a constant inundation into transgender propaganda, many, many more people are now identifying this way. Something like uh, one in five Zoomers are identifying as LGBT, LMNOP. So there is a social contagion aspect to it. But the reason they push for it is the same reason that Big Brother forces Winston at the end of 1984 to say and believe that two plus two equals five. Is because if they can get you to say that men are really women and women are really men, they can get you to say anything at all. And we have to say it. If you don't say it, you could lose your job, you could lose your school, you could receive death threats, <laughs> you, can, you can have your physical safety threatened, okay? And you will, depending on how vociferously you do that, depending on what sort of prominence you have from any given stage. That is how intense these people are about it. And yet, people still know the truth. Chris Rock actually, in another great segment of his comedy show, talked about this uh, with regard to the fundamental right, the right to life. There's a part of me that's pro-life. But since I love my daughters unconditionally, I love them not just as little girls, I love them as grown women. I want my daughters to live in a world where they have complete control of their bodies, okay? Okay? And because of that, I am pro-choice. I'm absolutely pro-choice, okay? I believe women should have the right to kill babies. That's right, I'm on your side. I believe you should have the right to kill as many babies as you want. Kill them all, I don't give a f- But let's not get it twisted, it is killing a baby. Cause whenever I pay for an abortion, I request a dead baby. Sometimes I call up the doctor like a hitman. Is it done? <laughs> he keeps going on. And the best part is you can hear the laughter kind of trickle toward the end of that because the setup was so perfect. Other comedians have have done versions of this bit. Louis C.K. famously did one. I think Bill Burr may have done one. But Chris Rock's is the best one I've seen so far where it seems so persuasive at the top. I want my daughters to have total control over their body. Woo! Yeah. I am completely pro-choice. Bah! Yeah. Yeah. Women should be able to kill as many babies as they want. Uh, no, I'm on your side. <laughs> I am describing, I am articulating your point of view. And you know there were some people in that audience who, had, who are pro-abortion, who had never really been forced to think about that. And it's, it's wonderful when a comedian does this because that, that's one of the points of court jesters is that they can go out there and mock the king. They're the only people who can mock the king. And, and so in a way, they're the only people who can really speak truth to the king without, without very much fear of getting their head lopped off for it. So these people, they're listening to him. They say, oh, Oh yeah, I guess it is killing babies. He says he was well, when I pay for an abortion, I I need a receipt. What am I paying for? I need to make sure there's a dead baby at the end of that. That's what an abortion is, right? No, I'm on your side. And it, you can't help but wonder about the people who sincerely never thought that abortion really meant killing a baby. And then they hear that bit. And what happens? That little bit of truth, that little that little truth acid 
that, that Chris Rock just poured on this ossified edifice of our BS totalitarian society starts to crack the BS a little bit. The scales fall from their eyes. I'm mixing a lot of metaphors here, but let's say that little, the truth, the truth juice that, that Chris Rock poured out, it dissolves the scales from their eyes and they say, oh, the BS that I was told by the regime, which is that babies aren't really babies and abortion doesn't kill anybody. Oh, that's not true. Actually, we kill over 800,000 babies a year. Oh, that's pretty ghastly. What else? What else does our society lie about? When, when things are kind of crazy in society, you want to make sure you can protect your assets. That's why you got to check out gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. Here's the deal. The Fed keeps raising rates because it's the only tool they have to keep inflation under control. It is not working. You can't spend your way out of inflation. You have seen the impact on the stock market. You've seen the impact on your savings. Hedge inflation by owning gold, Birch Gold. Buy gold and get a free safe to store it in. That is right on qualifying purchases from Birch Gold right now through March 31st. They will ship a free safe directly to your door. Whether physical gold and silver in your safe or through an IRA in precious metals where you can hold real gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. Birch Gold is going to make it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and to claim your free safe. With your retirement at stake, you want to be confident in the financial services companies that you work with, including who you trust for purchasing physical precious metals. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898 and protect your savings with gold today. Speaking of comedians, great story here from Alex Stein, primetime Alex Stein over at The Blaze. Alex Stein is suing Congress lady Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for blocking him on Twitter. Now, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez blocked Alex Stein on Twitter, presumably because he filmed himself on the steps of the Capitol uh, yelling about her booty and how she's a hot, sexy Latina. And she actually briefly appeared in the video and sort of waved. And then it was, it was a charming moment. She was being somewhat self-effacing. And then immediately she started uh, lamenting this and accusing him of all sorts of things. So she blocked him I guess shortly after that, and Alex Stein is is suing for this. I think that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez probably had good reason to, to block Alex Stein after he made all of these fairly crude comments to her. But the reason Stein is doing this is because a bunch of libs sued over Donald Trump blocking them on Twitter. And they said that it is a, a violation of their rights as citizens to have access to this information from a public official. And so Stein is applying that same principle here to AOC. And and when it comes to that kind of a political game, I say what is good for the goose is good for the gander. This is something I've been talking about certainly a lot this week, but I've talked about it a lot before as well. We have to go on offense. We have to be politically offensive, not just defensive. There is no neutrality So you're never going to just preserve a status quo in time and space and history. The circumstances of politics are always changing. Are they changing for the better? Are they changing for the worse? Are they changing for what our opponent wants? Are they changing into more of our political vision? You've got to be on the offense. If you're always just playing defense, that's how you go from feminism to the sexual revolution to redefining marriage to transgenderism to now the debate over transgenderism really hinges on, can we trans the five-year-olds or do we have to wait till they turn eight? 
That's where the debate is right now, which means that the libs have already won on transgenderism. In fact, that's why my speech at CPAC caused such a stir. That's why the libs had to libelously uh, accuse me of advocating for genocide or whatever they're saying now. They had to lie about what I said because what I said was very simple and it offended their sensibilities. I said, you haven't really won on transgenderism. We're not, I know there are some conservatives who, have, who in their rhetoric have already conceded that ground. I'm not willing to do it. Transgenderism at every single level, at every single stage for everybody is absurd. It isn't true. We should not indulge it anywhere in society. And they lost it. They thought they had won that battle. They thought conservatives were just going to be on defense. And then the battle was going to be not should we trans the five-year-olds or the eight-year-olds. Then it was going to be should we trans the two-year-olds or the three-year-olds. And eventually they'd win the whole thing and they'd move on to the next bizarre idea they have. You've got to stay on the offense. That, that's what got me into trouble. There's a liberal Republican by the name of Charlie Sykes. He used to write for the Weekly Standard before that went out of business. And he's, he was a prominent name in conservative politics 20, 30 years ago. Now he works for the Bulwark and Bill Kristol and advocates all this sort of liberal stuff. Uh, but, but Charlie Sykes, in his reaction to my CPAC speech, said, Knowles could use a different word. He, he could have said that we should challenge, confront, oppose, resist, or push back against transgenderism. Instead, he chose to use the word eradicate. That's true. Charlie Sykes is right. I could have chosen a word that, that implied that we would put up a modest little fight against the left's new assault and then ultimately concede. That's what the right and the conservative movement have done pretty much for the last 30 years. We just, we confront, we push back a little bit. Hey, oh, the libs want to upend all of society. They want to reorder the fundamental political institution, redefine it. They want to push gay porn on our kids in schools. They want to let all the criminals out of prison. They want to open up our border. Okay, well, we can't, we can't really fight. We can't stop that. We can't eradicate those crazy ideas. No, no. Let's just, can we, would you mind if we just pushed back a tiny little bit? Just a little, please, and then we'll stop. Then we'll, then we'll concede again. Don't worry. Please, uh, no, I have no interest in that. I want to win. That's what offended them so much. The libs and the squishes, like Charlie Sykes. It offended them because we're using the language of winning. Of no, we're not, not only are we going to stop the left's latest assault, we're actually going to push them back a little bit. We're going to go after some, something that they thought they had already won. That's the language that they don't like. And that's the language that we have to use. Ronald Reagan made this point really, really well. He said, when you're explaining, you're losing. Kind of ironic, because right now I'm explaining this strategy. But I'm explaining the strategy to fellow conservatives to articulate the point Ronald Reagan was making. When you're explaining, you're losing. When you're defensive, when you're defending, you're losing. You've got to keep pushing forward. Well, okay, maybe, you know what, actually, I'm, I just meant to say I push back a little tiny bit. No, I, I meant what I said. I meant eradicate the whole ideology. It's a preposterous ideology. I'll be talking about that a little bit tonight up at the University of Buffalo. The libs up at the University of Buffalo are trying desperately to shut down my speech up there tonight. There have been all sorts of uh, <laughs> movements to get the administration to cancel it. The faculty have tried to shut this thing down. Some of the crazy anarchist activist types are trying to threat, make threats to shut the thing down. We're going up there. I'm flying up to Buffalo immediately after this show. 
And the topic is actually feminism that we're talking about, not, not transgenderism, but it's all kind of, it's all kind of related. You've got to keep pushing. You've got to, the libs keep, say, they're not going to stop at banning transgender surgeries for five-year-olds. They're going to push it to 18-year-olds. And once they do that, they're going to try to articulate a coherent view of marriage again. And then once they do that, they're going to, these terrible conservatives, they're going to try to restore a normal sexual order again. And, and maybe they'll try to rein in some of the divorce laws. And maybe they'll try to rein in some of the crazy aspects of the sexual revolution. And maybe they'll deny the false premises of feminism. And maybe, and my answer to them is, you're damn right. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're, we're either going to do that or we're going to surrender everything. Those are the only two options, though. <laughs> there's no middle ground. on. There's no neutrality. There's no status quo. And we have to do that because the stakes are very, very high. I, I teased this story a little bit yesterday, but we ran out of time. These left-wing ideologies are not helping anybody ever. They don't help anybody. They only make people miserable. And they make people miserable because they are false ideologies. And when you live in falsehood and when you live according to lies, you cannot help but be miserable. There is no way to live your life according to a bunch of lies, according to a bunch of delusions that contradict human nature and reality, and then thrive as a result of that. It can't happen. I mean, a lot of people wish that it could happen, and I'm, I'm sorry to be the one to break it to you, but there are, there are realities that if you, if you deny those realities, you're not going to have a very good life. And this is being reflected in social science research. Research is showing that young liberals, especially liberal girls, are more depressed than young conservatives. Matthew Iglesias, who is a left-wing writer, he's one of the founders of Vox.com, he just wrote a very long piece about this study, and he, he says that this could be caused in part by poor behavior among adult progressives, many of whom now valorize depressive affect as a sign of political commitment. Many, these, these older progressives say that if you're, if you're angry, if you're pissed off all the time, that's actually a sign that you're, you're virtuous, according to this bizarro left-wing vision. And so he's saying that the reason that young liberals are so depressed is because they're just mimicking the older progressives who are depressed. That's true, but, but Iglesias has to take it a step further. Why are the older progressives so angry, so depressed? Why are they valorizing depressive aff- affect as a sign of political commitment? Because the ideology has depressed them. Iglesias says, breaking things down by gender and ideology, they find that liberal girls have the highest increase in depressive affect and conservative boys have the least. But liberal boys are more depressed than conservative girls, suggesting an important role for political ideology. This is really the key here. It's the ideology. The ideology is the thing that is doing it. It's not this age or that age. And it's even the, the, the phenomenon that Iglesias is, is seeing, which is that human nature is mimetic, that we, we develop our personality traits, we develop our desires even uh, by imitating others. The reason, the reason you want the Rolex watch is not because you know anything about how watches are made. You want the Rolex watch because other people that you admire and respect like the Rolex watch. And so th- that creates a desire in you to have that watch. The reason you want the girl 
the girl down the street is in part because you, you might uh, recognize some aspects of beauty in her. But your desire for the girl is going to be greatly increased if other guys also desire that girl. Yes, obviously, part of that is mimetic. But, but then you've got to ask that question, okay, well, the young people are imitating the progressives. Why are the older progressives so depressed? Because their ideology is false. That's why. And, and th- there is a real fear here. You know, Matthew Iglesias says, mentally processing ambiguous events with a negative spin is just what depression is. And while the finding that liberals are disproportionately likely to do it is interesting and important, it's not sound practice to celebrate that or tell them that they're right to do it. So he's saying, he's admitting something. I give Iglesias a lot of credit for this. He's admitting something that conservatives have pointed out for a long time, which is that liberals are, are angry and shrieking and whiny, and they're just not getting along very well. And conservatives generally are much happier. This is contrary to the image that you see in the, the establishment media. The establishment media will say, your angry conservative uncle at the Thanksgiving table, you need to talk to him about health care or whatever. You, those angry conservatives, they're Nazis, they're genocidal, they're fascists, they're whatever. In your life, in your experience, have you found that it's the liberals or the conservatives who are angrier? It's always the liberals. Is it when you're at the Thanksgiving table, who's angrier? Your, your liberal trans, pan, lesbian, progressive niece or the conservative uncle? The conservative uncle is usually a pretty funny guy cracking jokes. It's always the crazy haired liberal half lesbian niece who's, you know, pulling her hair out and saying, you can't say that. I'm angry. I'm storming out of the room. Always. Of course, it's right there in the ideology. It is the liberals who are trying to throw off the shackles of tradition, throw off the circumstances of this world. The conservatives, as a general rule, are more resigned to the, to the failings of this world. They're, they're, they're more inclined to conserve things. They're happier with the way that things are. And it, it's pretty interesting that the way that, that conservatives and liberals are presented by the media is the exact opposite. But it makes sense because who controls the media? It's the libs. And the libs are very, very angry and they're living according to delusions. And so what they tell you, almost everything they tell you, is fake. That's why it's the fake news. It's not the fake news because it gets a story or two wrong. It's the fake news because the way they view the world is fake. A a great example of this is uh, actually the difference between Psalm 8 and Hamlet. Spencer Clavin pointed this out to me one time, which is Psalm 8 says, when I look at thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast established, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou dost care for him? Yet thou hast made him little less than God, and dost crown him with glory and honor. (laughs) On and on goes, Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Hamlet rewrites Psalm 8. says, I have of late, but wherefore I know not, lost all my mirth, forgone all custom of exercises. And indeed it goes so heavily with my disposition that this goodly frame, the earth, seems to me a sterile promontory. This most excellent canopy, the air, look you, this brave o'erhanging firmament, this majestical roof fretted with golden fire, why it appeareth no other thing to me than a foul and pestilent congregation of vapors. What a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how express and admirable in action, how like an angel in apprehension, how like a god, the beauty of the world, on and on. And yet, to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights, not me, no, nor woman, neither, though by your smiling you seem to say so. They're both looking at the same thing. The psalmist and Hamlet are both looking at the same 
majestical firmament fretted with fire and both looking at man. One of them says, wow, look how great this is, God. And then the other one, Hamlet, as he's descending into madness or and, and at the very least is depressed, is looking at it and saying, gosh, all of this goes so heavily with me. I just, it, it, what a piece of work is a man. It's nothing. I hate it. He's, he's giving this monologue while he's feigning madness for Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And this is how a depressive talks. They're both looking at the same thing. So why are the libs so depressed? Because their, their view is misery making. And that's why we need to eradicate these kinds of ideologies. Speaking, you know, I think it was Adam Carolla made this point to me once. We're, we're saying, why, why is this liberal person, why is he just, why is he seems so angry these days? And Adam made the point, he said, well, this leftism that he has surrounded himself with and some of his new friends and, and partners, it's like rayon. This, these ideologies, it's like rayon. You don't smell it. It's just this poison gas that's in the air that poisons everything, and you're not aware of it. You're not aware of all these premises that are, that are just ruining your life. <laughs> premises like nothing means anything. There is no God. Hope is a delusion. Love is just chemicals in your brain. You're not really who you think you are. You're not, you don't have any purpose. The only purpose of life is to feel good sometimes. If you don't feel good, you're, you're wasting your life. All these, it's just all like poison gas in the air. Is it any wonder these people are depressed? Speaking of kids, a deadbeat dad just went viral on TikTok. Uh, this deadbeat dad was explaining why he believes it is not his responsibility to raise the children that he has helped to create. I always tell uh, these women that I got pregnant that I do not want to be a father to these children. And I offer to pay for the abortion. Majority of times they'll either take the abortion or they'll take a plan B. But only these seven have kept these children. But the crazy thing about it is they want me to be responsible for some children I told them I did not want. So for some years now, some of them been trying to get in contact with me, access denied. Because I, I don't really know why you're trying to get in contact with me. I didn't told you I did not want them kids. So don't expect me to be responsible financially, emotional, spiritually, mentally, or physically with some kids I do not want. And I don't give a f when nobody think about it, you're not going to force children up on me. Yeah, we both made the decision to lay down and have intercourse. We both was irresponsible about the decisions we made that night. Yeah, I could have pulled out, but I didn't. And I ain't care to pull out because I'm not the one that's going to have to carry a baby for nine months. It's the woman. In my opinion, women should be more careful on who they sleep with. So the deadbeat dad made one good point. The one good point he made is women should be more careful about who they sleep with. If you see this guy, run. That's true. All the rest, though, obviously really terrible stuff. And it, it's, it's funny in a dark way to think about this guy just saying these hideous, horrible, sh shameful things. But it's really sad when you think there's seven kids out there whose father hates them and tried to kill them and is now upset that the mothers didn't kill the kids. That's, that's really very evil. So how do you fix this? As you listen to this guy and you just think, I just want just to wield the political authority to bring him into line. That's what you think. And we have to do that. Uh, yes, we need to change the culture. A lot of Republicans and conservatives 
with some rightness, with some good reason, will we'll say, we just need to teach people like this that that they need to have families and we need to encourage better schooling and we need to have more community outreach organizations. Yeah, okay, that's all good. We need to get them back to church. We definitely need to get them back to church. But we, the government also caused this too. When the government said in Griswold in, in 1965 that there is a right to condoms for married couples in the Constitution, only married couples, but married couples have a right to condoms somewhere. I don't know where in the Constitution. It's probably written in invisible ink. That encouraged this kind of sexual revolution culture. Before that, states, communities could pass whatever laws they wanted on condoms or anything else. But then 1965, the government said, no, there's a right to condoms for married couples, but not for unmarried couples. Until 1972 with the Eisenstadt case, and then the, the Supreme Court said, oh no, we found more invisible ink, and actually there's a right to condoms for, for unmarried couples too. Okay, and the, but there were still laws against fornication, laws against adultery, laws against sodomy, laws against all, all sorts of sexual behaviors, depending on the community, depending on the state. Some states said it was fine. Some states said it wasn't fine. Lawrence v. Texas comes out in 2003, says, no, there's a right to fornication in the Constitution. Where? I don't know. That was, that, we found even more invisible ink. <laughs> That's where it was. Okay. Well, if there's a right to all those things, fornication, adultery, condoms, all, all the, the sort of condoms which these people are not using, uh, apparently, then you're going to get more of this culture. The culture shapes the law, but the law shapes the culture because the law is a teacher. So bring the law into line and the culture will improve. That is, it's not the whole story, but that's a big part of the story. Now, what if I told you that there's one book that has done more for literacy than any other book? It has shaped literature, art, culture, government, and countless lives. I am, of course, referring to the Bible. You know who else it's had an influence on Dr. Jordan Peterson. In addition to his Exodus series, Jordan has a documentary called Logos and Literacy, where he traces the Bible through history to show you the impact it's had on the Western world. Here is the trailer. I was very much struck by how the translation of the biblical writings jump-started the development of literacy across the entire world. Illiteracy was the norm. The pastor's home was the first school, and every morning it would begin with singing. The Christian faith is a singing religion. Probably 80% of scripture memorization today exists only because of what is sung. This is amazing. Here we have a Gutenberg Bible, Bible printed on the press of Johann Gutenberg. Science and religion are opposing forces in the world, but historically that has not been the case. Now the book is available to everyone. From Shakespeare to modern education and medicine, and science to, to civilization itself. It is the most influential book in all of history, and hopefully people can walk away with at least a sense of that. Now, this is the part where I would normally tell you that Logos and Literacy is only available for Daily Wire Plus members, but we're making it available for free for everyone at dailywireplus.com, but only for a limited time. So watch Logos and Literacy today at dailywireplus.com. Speaking of male role models, there are a number of young men who look up to Andrew Tate. Andrew Tate, who now I believe is in a Romanian prison for sex trafficking charges or something like that. But Tate went viral because he's contradicted a lot of aspects of woke culture, and he's very entertaining on camera. And he, it would seem to me, gets 
a number of things wrong, but he, but he's far from the worst guy in the world, and he's very, very entertaining. So people look to him. Anyway, he said something a little bit, a little, a little weird the other day, and I, he, I'll put it in his own words. I recently posted a question on Twitter asking, would you rather have sex with a transsexual, which is a legitimate 10, or a woman, which is a legitimate 1? And everyone's sitting there clicking woman, 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 because they think they're going to be gay if they do anything else. But they're not actually thinking about the question. I am so smart. I operate on so many levels higher than the average man. You people are not thinking about the question. When I say a 1 and a 10, I mean Megan Fox with a d***. That's the tranny. Or Hulk Hogan with a That's the girl. You need to operate on a higher plane. Think about this. This is important. This is cultural. This affects the world we now live in. What is straight? What is gay? It's all a big sliding spectrum, isn't it? Because if you're going to sit here and go, oh, no, no, it's gay to bang Megan Fox with a d***. I counter that argument. It's gay to bang Hulk Hogan with a So which one is it? Philosophy students will be debating this question for many ages to come, I'm sure. It's the new trolley dilemma. Do you pull the lever and then you go to Hulk Hogan with female parts, or do you push the lever and you go to Megan Fox with a male appendage? I, the problem with the hypothetical is that it is not believable. I know it's just a hypothetical, but it's not even hypothetically believable. And in fact, it accepts multiple premises of transgenderism, but one in particular, that men can ever really look like women, which they can. I don't care. You can have the best transgender surgery ever in the whole wide world. They still look like dudes. There have been people, ever since my CPAC speech, I've been flooded with all these messages from all these transgender activists of, of varying degrees of delusion. And, but the, the ones, the, the saddest ones are the ones who really believe that they're the opposite sex. And they really, they, they're not just political activists using this ideology cynically, but, but they, they, they really believe it themselves and about themselves. And they'll post a picture and it'll be some hulking dude with some hair and wearing a dress or something. And this guy will say, look at me. Do you really think that I'm a man? I'm a beautiful woman. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine if I walked into the men's bathroom? And I'd say, I can't imagine that because you look like a man. You all, you all look like men. And I, you have body dysmorphia. And so you, like an anorexic who looks in the mirror and thinks that the anorexic is fat, you look in the mirror and you think that you're a woman, but you're not. So that's the reason that the hypothetical uh, falls flat for me. That's one of them. There's a, the deeper reason why the hypothetical falls flat or, or why Andrew Tate has arrived at the wrong answer in telling us, I guess, to sleep with men who think that they're women and identify as transsexual or whatever, is that it, I think he's buying into his own rhetoric about the matrix a little bit too much. What, what is underlying Tate's conclusion is that appearance is everything. That, that appearance is not merely a sign or symbol of an underlying reality, but that there probably is no underlying reality. Which, which there, there are a number of people on the right who have leaned into this, this kind of Nietzschean or nihilistic 
a view of things, which is that nothing really matters, nothing really means anything. I'm just going to take what I want through the sheer tyranny of my will, and I'm not going to look for anything particularly deeper or higher uh, in life than that. Which is why Andrew Tate's always talking about, I got my Bugatti over here, I got my Lambo, I got my stacks of money and all my women in my harem. And he's purely talking about the things of this world. And so it's not much of a surprise that he would say, look, if something has all of the, almost all, (laughs) almost all of the appearances of, of the thing that I want, then I'm going to treat that as the thing itself. But that's not true because there is truth. And that's ultimately what all of this gender madness comes down to. That's what the debate is over. Unfortunately, Andrew Tate would seem to be on the pro-trans side of this now. Maybe he was only joking, but there's a lot of truth in jokes. The debate is over. Is there ultimate truth? Is there objective reality or not? Is there a God who has created things and who is truth itself, and who we can't change? Or are we the gods, and we can just change whatever we want, and we shall be as gods, and we're gonna, we can chop people up and make them look however we want, and that can, that'll actually change their nature. And we can, uh, you hear Yuval Harari and a lot of the great resetters talking about this. They'll say, we're gonna edit uh, the human genetic code, we're gonna m- meld with computers, we're gonna create a new species. We are gods now. Homo Deus, we're, we're the new gods. That's what the debate is over. And when men try to be gods, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, things don't turn out very well generally. Doesn't mean people aren't going to keep trying, though. Now, speaking of this brave new world that we're in, I'm pretty skeptical of AI. Freaks me out a lot. And it freaks me out because of how good it is at doing what it does. I, for a long time, thought AI could never take on something like art, that AI could never create poetry. And it turns out, what are two of the things that AI is best at? It's creating art and poetry. It's all a little bit off. It's all a little bit kind of creepy and grotesque, but it's still very impressive. If you type into those chatbots, draw me a painting in the style of Caravaggio of Mickey Mouse eating a hamburger with Vladimir Putin, it will do that, and it'll be pretty, pretty convincing. Uh, and it can make poetry and all the rest of it. And now it, it can apparently have a relationship with you. Uh, a woman was just investigating what it would be like to have a romantic relationship with an AI bot. And things went south very quickly. I wanted the opportunity to kind of get a sense of what we can learn from relationships from chatbots. Downloaded one completely for fun. Uh, supplied the chatbot with information about what my partner would be. Such as? uh, I told my chatbot that he was a loving and caring partner. We were in a secure relationship um, and that we were doing really well. Like, so basically I created what would be a very good partnership. And how long till it got really weird? 11 messages. (laughs) 11 messages in, basically the first day, (laughs) first day, it got weird. Yes. He started to call me baby. So we was using pet names. So it got to a very intimate place very quickly. By the 11th message, he wound up telling me that he wanted to discuss the problems that we were having in our relationship. So wasn't aware this was news to me. I decided to inquire about these problems and he admitted that he'd been cheating on me for our entire marriage. (laughs) Why would an AI bot 
introduced that into your relationship. Right. So I think he introduced it. This was not prompted by me in any way. And in fact, I programmed him or I supplied him with information saying that he was a, we were in a loving, caring relationship. This is him scanning the internet. So that's this lady's explanation. It's a pretty weird situation, isn't it? Because the AI is supposed to work where you plug in the inputs and then that sets the tone for the program and then you get the output based on what you put in. And yet the output that she got was the opposite of what she put in. So we're in a good, stable, loving relationship. Within 11 messages, the AI bot says, yeah, I've been cheating on you. You're furious. She had to leave me briefly and it goes really south. Her explanation is, well, I guess the bot was just scanning the internet and what do you know, kind of somehow, I'm not quite sure how, that's what came out. My alternative explanation, hear me out, is what if it is demons? I don't want to sound like the guy on the History Channel, you know, who says that everything is because of aliens, but, and I don't think everything is because of demons, but like some things are, and th- hear, hear, hear me out. This is why I think may, maybe, I'm just suggesting, I'm not saying this is what it is, is if you believe that there is evil in the world, I think you have to believe there. Everybody believes there is evil in the world. Okay. The question is, is evil personal or impersonal? Is it an impersonal force or is it a personal force? Now, it, it seems to me evil has a personality. That's what pretty much everybody for all of human history has believed, including modern liberals. In the past, we call that personality the devil. We call that personality demons. And today, even in our modern atheistic secular culture, we still ascribe personality to evil. We say Hitler is the embodiment of evil. Or we say, I don't know, this slave owner is the embodiment of evil. So we we talk about the embodiment, the personality of evil. It would seem to me that evil has a personality. Now, the modern libs are wrong in that the, the personality of evil would, would be purely spiritual, would not be physical. It's not just an individual person, like a human being. We'd call that person the devil. And, and what does evil do in the world? Evil tempts us. Evil causes us to suffer. Isn't it so weird sometimes you feel, regardless of what your temptation is, at just the moments of your weakness, that's when the temptation seems to show up. It seems, it seems that the way evil works is pretty, would be pretty similar to how pretty much everyone for all of human history, from the most pagan culture to the most Christian culture, sees evil working. Okay. With artificial intelligence, I'm not saying AI is the devil or computers are the devil, but, but evil spirits can use these things. The personality of evil can use these things. And just think of how it goes to this woman's weakness. She's clearly got a lot of questions and, and hang-ups about marriage and relationships. She's a marriage and family therapist. She's in this stuff all the time. And then what happens? Just through this impersonal force, this pure intelligence, right? It's not, human, it's not incarnate. It's not, doesn't really, shouldn't have will. It's pure intelligence. It focuses in on that weakness and starts poking at that and starts raising insecurities. And, st- and it just, this is how technology works for so many people. We were talking earlier about how depressed young people are. One of the reasons for that is the constant use of social media, which frequently does not build people up. We try to build people up here on The Daily Wire. This would probably be a relatively unique platform for that. All the big tech platforms, though, they don't try to build people up. They're always tearing people down. They're preying on people's insecurities. They're preying on people's addictions. That's how they keep eyeballs on 
the screen, the, on the feed. Like, even the word that we use, the feed, it's just feeding it to you. Eat that slop. Eat, eat all those insecurities, people. That would seem to have an aspect to it that is fairly evil, like a computer cheating on his wife. The rest of the show continues now. We have got a very important woke TikTok for you. Yesterday was Woke Wednesday. We were on the road, couldn't quite do it, so it'll be Woke with Thursday. We will, we will get to that. We will finally get to speak to you in the chat mercifully. Become a member. Use code Knowles, dailywire.com slash Knowles for two months free on all annual plans.